Uh oh, can't hear you, Jamie. Hey there, everybody. <sighs> Wait till Jamie the unmutes. mute button foiled me again. I had this whole thing <laughs> planned out, Dave. Good afternoon, everyone. How are we doing? <laughs> it's Thursday afternoon. Thanks for thanks for saving me. Um, it's good to be back. It's been a quite some time since we've been doing live. We've been at Melfest. We've been doing other things. I hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day um, and a safe Memorial Day weekend. Um, it was honestly, quite frankly, sad and gray and rainy here in San Diego at the end of May. So it was uh, it was a bit unexpected. But uh, here we are, nonetheless, back in the swing of things. Dave, how are you, sir? Doing well. I'm, I'm back in Argentina here, but uh, and. Uh, yeah, it's good to be back on here on Deering Live. We we saw each other at Merle Fest, and uh, did. that was a good time. We hung out. We got uh, got to hang out in person for for a few days, which was wonderful, and uh, greet many of you wonderful customers and uh, swung by the booth. That was the wettest Merle Fest I think I've done in my my twelve years. Well, it was chilly, was, chilly and wet. Yeah, it didn't feel wet. like early summer, late spring. It felt. Uh -uh. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. But nonetheless, this is not why we're here, but uh, it's always good to have a quick catch up before. It's not like we don't see each other every single day here in my dreams, Dave, every single day. It's just too much. All right. Anyway, let's crack on with the show. Um, right. Well, I mean, it, let's let's get started because uh, I'll say that the the list of just simply unbelievable musicians that today's guest has played with is extensive as it is impressive. He's played at the Grand Ole Opry dozens of times. He's appeared on CBS with the likes of Keith Urban and ABC with Earl Scruggs and Ricky Skaggs. He's worked with Sierra Hull, Tim O'Brien, Jim Lauderdale, Mountain Heart, The Steel Drivers, Vicky Vaughn, Kenny, Amanda Smith. Ronnie Bowman, Rob and uh, Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley, uh, the Dillards, uh, East Nashgrass, and many more. In 2014, he was the IBMA's uh, Momentum Award winner for Instrumentalist of the Year. And whether you realize it or not, you can hear his banjo playing on so many different songs and albums on Bluegrass Country Radio that, uh, even today. So tons of times where you probably have heard this gentleman uh, and not even realized it, but we're honored and, and very, very happy and excited to welcome Mr. Corey Walker to the show. Hey, how there are you guys he is. doing? Good, Corey. How are you? Doing very good. Nice good. to be on here. It's very nice to have you here in your outside porch or your inside porch. Yeah, yes. whatever it is. Yeah. I like it. It's also um, the laundry room. You know, it's we also, got a lot going on here. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack, but we like it. We like is, where you're yeah. at. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we're going to kick off proceedings on Deering Live as we tend to do um, and invite you to play a little tune. Um, and uh, and what do you want to kick off with? Uh, let's do uh, Nashville Skyline Rag. Let's yeah. rock it. All right. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks. Well, Corey, great to great to meet you. Uh, you know, virtually. Um, it's yeah. A member of your team reached out. Um, 
to me about about East Nash Crash, and um, and it wasn't on my radar. And as I checked it out, and you know, it sounded fantastic. So it's great to oh, have thanks. you here. Yeah, yeah, really, really excited to be here, and I'm really excited about that band. Uh, it's the most fun I've had, uh, really ever uh, playing music. Really excited about just the whole thing. You know, you play with a lot of people, and there's all types of things that you love about it, you know, um, but this has a lot of, uh, new, new qualities and just, uh, the chemistry is just something completely different. Um, yeah, I'm psyched about it. Really. Awesome. Did y'all all form? So how did this come together? How did this group come together? What's kind of the origin story of this band? Well, you know, it was kind of born out of a bar. Um, a little club called D's Country Cocktail Lounge, and it's in a little suburb of Nashville where most of us are kind of centered around, and it's called Madison, Madison, Tennessee. Uh-huh. And uh, it kind of started as a, uh, you know, a bar, a bar gig, and uh, and uh, things happen where all of us couldn't be there, and it's it's a long story and very complicated, but uh, um, you know, we all have always played with. Uh, as side men and and women, because our our fiddle player is uh, uh, Maddie Denton, she's incredible. But um, we we're always side men and uh, with other bands. And this was like the first opportunity where we were like, "Whoa, this is really really fun! Like we could build this, you know." And so mm-hmm. we started playing more festivals and uh, cut a record during the pandemic, as I think a lot of people did. Um, and uh yeah it's just been kind of something that's just gathered momentum and and uh, it's become more and more and more serious to all of us uh but it it hasn't lost uh you know just the aspect of um uh, fun (laughs) right that's what i was gonna say just the, the fun part of it yeah um so all of y'all are, are all of y'all are you know uh, friends and musical you know colleagues and, and oh yeah and I mean yeah. best best buddies you know yeah it's really cool so is this is, is has it been a long time since you've been in like a since you've been like a you know in a a founding member of a band you know who's part of you know yeah. part of where you're, it's your band you're, yeah. you're part of one of the side I don't I don't think that there's been a situation uh, where where I've been a founding member of anything ever, you know, like I, I played, I started playing with Sierra Hall when I was, I think 15 and, uh, maybe 14, something like that. And I was on the, on the road with her a long, long time. Um, at least based on how many years I had lived at at Uh that point, you know, um, and then, uh, yeah, everything's been kind of like a sideman, like play the, the lead artists music and and of course you know like you know like you have a say in everything but it's not the same when when you know you're bringing material and you have ideas about what we need to work on as a band and you know or you know what we want to do or say or um it's really cool with east nash grass because uh we never know what we're going to do. And I really like that energy. I really, really kind of loathe the, the over-prepared, uh-huh. uh, almost theater style, you know, right. uh, performing. And, and really, and it wasn't really like that with, with most of the people that I've played with, but, but we kind of really embraced that, like, like I think to the nth degree, compared to what I've been used to playing with and hearing just in the circuit. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that caught me with East Nash grass was just real quickly was it felt like, like, like what, you know, it felt like just organic, like real music, like you're playing it just for the, you know, it's like, it wasn't overly, overly prepared and everything mm-hmm. it felt it felt like there's still some of that danger in it where it's mm-hmm. where you're and 
and it felt more a little bit like older bluegrass in a certain vibe, you know, because it had less of that modern, let's get everything, you know, super clean and super right. perfect. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, thanks for that. I mean, I, I like to hear, personally, I like to hear like danger and, and the music and, and darkness and, you know, and then all the nice fluffy stuff too, you know, I, yeah, I think yeah. it represents uh, just life way more. And I think it's something that, that, uh, you know, everybody wants like a real clean, you know, sound. And some people go so far that it stomps the life out of mm -hmm. the music, you know, let's put it to a click track and, and let's tune the vocals and let's, you know, rehearse this seven times, uh, you know, before we cut it so it sounds dead, you know. And it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be that way, but a lot of times um, that's a danger that you that you risk, um, you know, when you're just overly prepared and you know what you're going to do. It's certainly a way to do it. Um, right. There's pros and cons with all of it but um so far that's kind of been more of the the style right yeah and is this everybody bringing in writing tunes and then y'all writing mm -hmm. tunes together yeah yeah um gosh uh, i think four out of the six of us uh brought in material and uh and then um and then the Dobro player, uh, Gavin Largent, he also writes. He didn't have anything for this project, but uh, but yeah, like uh, Harry, Harry Clark, he brought in uh, a number or two, and I brought in a number. Um, and uh, Maddie, the fiddle player, she wrote the instrumental tune on there, and and then James, the guitar player and singer, he wrote a song on there, and uh, and then also we had. Um, uh, we took some songs and then also wrote with uh, a good buddy of ours, uh, Christian Ward, who's a phenomenal writer. And uh, he's, you know, he and my brother Jared wrote um, a bunch of like the new Billy String stuff, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, just really fresh stuff. It's, it's about the songs, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, if, I mean, it doesn't matter how, how, nice you make your voice sound when you're you know reading an encyclopedia nobody cares you know like mm -hmm. there'll be a couple but but like what are you writing about and uh and i think it's a strong point for the band you know yeah i know y'all are y'all writing together or are you each kind of individually bringing stuff in and then you kind of re refine it in a in a rehearsal situation i i write so, a, a good deal with the mandolin player harry Harry Clark, and uh, actually we've been writing a ton as of late, but um, but most of the stuff for this project, it was like individual stuff, and we all brought in stuff, but very organically, you know, like, you know, it's not like, I don't know, I, I play music to get out of business, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, just the, okay, we have this, and you know, and of course you have to do that, but uh, right. I don't know. We'll edit that one out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so so the album you have the album coming out. You've you've launched you've released a few singles off the album so far. And the mm -hmm. album's uh, when is its last chance to win? When is it being released? The full album? I believe it is August. In August. I yeah. think so. I think so. Yeah, but Mountain Fever, uh, our record label, they would have the information on that. I should have wrote that down. Um, but yeah, it's it's like August or it could even be late July. Um, yeah, I don't okay. know. Okay. Well, everybody, yeah, everybody look out. It'll be on all the platforms, I'm assuming, all the streaming mm -hmm. and regular things everywhere. Yeah, and there's a couple singles out, like uh, currently, um, a song called Railroading and Gambling, which is an yeah. old Uncle Dave making tune uh, uh, that Gavin, the Dobro player, sang. And then uh, and then also one called Magic City Gray uh, that uh, Christian Ward and my brother Jared wrote uh, that James Key 
the guitar player sings, kind of like a slow uh, ballad almost. Cool. Um, well, why don't you tell me a little bit, how'd you get it started playing music and how it gets, what drew you to the banjo and, and your kind of whole story? Um, mm -hmm. You're from Florida, right? Yep. Yep. Like an hour east of Tampa. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, my dad uh, fell in love with bluegrass music uh, after hearing Flat and Scruggs with, when he was in middle school and he just asked his parents, you know, if he could get a banjo to, I mean, you know, it, it all started with him and his dad, you know, played, uh, guitar and, and, uh, played in, in the band, uh, when he was in college. Uh, so, you know, there was definitely music around, but he was the one that just was drawn to the banjo. And so like, it's all I was hearing, uh, since before I could talk, you know, I mean, yeah. my dad was just like really ate up with it, you know, and, uh, and ended up, uh, we started going to this place called the bluegrass parlor in Tampa, Florida, that a guy named Tom Henderson ran and, and, uh, and, you know, you could take lessons there. It was all bluegrass, all bluegrass, you know, so like CDs and, uh, you know, magazines, anything you wanted to know, um, just go to the bluegrass parlor and he had weekly jams on Thursdays. And so I remember going like every Thursday from the time that maybe I was like four or five, um, uh, you know, riding an hour with dad out to the bluegrass parlor. And then there's this jam session. And then when I was seven, I remember being in the bluegrass parlor and uh, my dad asked me, like, would you want to learn to play banjo? And I just, like, inside, I was just, I was just like, well, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Like, that's mm -hmm. going to happen, it, it, you know. And so I was just like, yeah, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, I always, I always really, like, uh, worked hard on it, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how it got and started. You took lessons at, at the at this store at the bluegrass parlor or yeah or yeah from a guy named yeah from a guy named steven stadler great great banjo player and mandolin player guitar player just great um and then dad when he would come home from work he would uh he would like when i was starting for the first couple of years you know he yeah. he would say no no you can't use that finger here you know you gotta use this finger you know, yeah, my dad says he's he's uh, good enough to know that he shouldn't be on stage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but dad, but but dad is a very good banjo player, a very good banjo player. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and then after after I got um, a little bit uh, of banjo in my hands, you know, then he would play rhythm guitar like and I mean, like every night, you know, every night. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. you know, I had so much support there and then uh, uh, then like two years later uh, my brother Jared started playing mandolin and then and then several years after that my youngest brother Tyler started playing guitar so uh, and, and around the time, yeah yeah and around the time that uh, that Jared started playing I think it was around that time uh, so it had been like 98 or 99 uh then uh my grandpa my dad's dad started playing dobro and then uh and then we went to this camp called nash camp and uh, -huh. uh in nashville cindy sinclair loved cindy um but i went went up with with grandpa uh because he was just gonna go alone but he'd rather not go alone so i went up there and uh took dobro lessons with him and uh yeah it just it became like a family affair for sure yes but you, but you all never did y'all ever have a, a family band was there ever like a walker family band well there there was there was several like iterations of of family bands you know playing like local gigs you yeah, know yeah. for for the you know for the 
Shriners, uh, you know, hobo, dress up like a hobo party or whatever, just random stuff or for, for the church or, or like little bluegrass festivals and stuff, community events and stuff. But, um, but yeah, um, that kind of brings us back to the bluegrass parlor. Um, Tom Henderson also had a band that he called the bluegrass parlor band. And it was born out of kids um, taking lessons at the bluegrass parlor and like getting really good. And mm -hmm. so he like, he was such a great encourager. He would, uh, he'd hire when it was time, you know, and it, it wasn't always kids, but just, just uh, people in the scene that were good. It was a very good band. Aubrey Haney, the fiddle player, he, he yeah. came out of the bluegrass parlor band. And, okay. David Crow and uh, gosh, a lot of a lot of people. Jason Barry, uh, David McMillan, um, but yeah. So like, so we would you know tour, you know all all the Florida festivals and stuff. Right. I joined uh, playing banjo when I was eleven, I think, uh, in that band, and we did a couple years before Tom retired, and uh, and then. Uh, then it became uh, me and my brother and a guy named Jeff Jones and his brother, who also came out of the Bluegrass Parlor, like learning from, you know, the, the teacher, the instructor there. And then, and then also a girl named Heather Franks, who also took lessons at the Bluegrass Parlor. So it was like, you know, age 22, age 17, and then like 14, and then... 12 and 11 <laughs> you know right so yeah it was cool yeah that's cool you really had you know a good a good scene and uh mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's unique mm -hmm. so at what point did you did you think i want to do this as a career as a real career you know i think it was when i was 13 because um uh that year it was the last year of the award show um, I, I mean, of, of IBMA in Louisville and at, at the award show, uh, it was like 10 years after, like, uh, it was like Chris Thiele and, uh, Josh Williams and Brady Stogdall and Michael Cleveland and Cody Kilby had like, you know, a young American all-stars band that was showcased mm -hmm. on the award show, you know, I guess in 93 and, uh, and uh, they wanted to do another um, version of that. So uh, it was like me and Sierra Hall and Maggie Beth Estes and uh, Sarah DeRose and Will Jones. And then, who am I forgetting? No, I think I got everybody. That's Sierra Hall, yeah. Um, so, so we did, we did this show at the award show and it was amazing. And it, you know, it's like playing with Thiele, you know, it's just uh -huh. like unbelievable. And the crowd just like roaring and it's like, man, I think it was like, it might've been the next year after that, because then I started playing more gigs and I was like, wait, you know, like I could do this, you know, like, right, right. maybe this is what I should aim for. You know, like it, it just became, it seemed a little more real after a couple things that happened, you know? Uh -huh. and, and where you, did you start, when did you start, you know, touring a little, touring and playing, you know, bigger, bigger gigs where you essentially were, cause you're still really young where mm -hmm. school is, you know, you, you, where, where it's a conflict. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I had to, I had to take a lot of days off, like, you know, Fridays, sometimes Thursdays too. And at the time I was quite a bit of a worry wart. And so mm -hmm. it was absolutely just crazy, like trying to catch up on assignments and stuff to the point that it was just debilitating, you know, mm -hmm. um, just always, always like having to catch up, catch up, catch up, catch up. And, um, I remember Sierra went through it too. Like, big time because she she ended up going on that uh down from the mountain tour when mm -hmm. she was like maybe 13 or 14 or something like that and that was like months you know and uh 
like like her, I had a I had a good principal that like understood that it's right. not just trying to skip school. It's like a real thing that you know that has some weight to it. And uh, and so I, I would say, you know, around fifteen, you know, is is when I was like playing like uh, bigger bluegrass festivals with her. Yeah. And, uh, and it just kept, it kept going, you know, and, right. uh, and then, and then I went to, to school in, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, because I knew I had to be in Tennessee. It just, there was no option, you know, and believe me, I miss Florida a lot, but mm-hmm. like, you know, you can't, you can't make a living like a, a real career out of playing banjo down there. I mean, you right. can, you know, there's, there's gigs and stuff. You can play at Disney world, and, you know, like there's yep. some good money gigs, but that's, it's almost like a nine to five, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. So, so I went to school in Murfreesboro, um, in 2008 and got a business degree and now I can hold up that paper and it did help a little bit, you know, um, understanding business, but, uh, but I never wanted to get a business degree. I just thought like, well, this makes the most sense, you know, right. yeah. um, because my parents, I have very, very good parents and they just kind of like really, really insisted, you know, like you've got to do that. What if you break your hand, you know, right, blah, right, blah, right. Blah, blah. so yeah, but, uh, most of being in, in school was like learning about music and picking with, uh, with my friends. So, so in bluegrass, there's a lot of these, a lot of the times, you know, you're one of these younger, um, these cats who came up playing really young and, mm-hmm. but you didn't burn out. A lot of the time there's burnout, you know, you mm-hmm. go to festivals or you go to IBMA or, and there's, there's a, each year there's these young kids and they're really good. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then they, you never see them again. So a lot of mm-hmm. the time, you know, what do you think is kind of key to, for not, burning out um both as a player and then you know looking out from for if if you're a parent and have a a child that's that's Mm -hmm. you know really into it and not you know overdoing it on them yeah um well well from the parent's perspective um like let let the kid like show what he can do. You don't need to, you don't need to hype it all up. It, it, the focus needs to stay on the music. And that's the same thing for, um, you know, getting burned out. Like you don't, it's really easy to do. And, and, and I go through it and everybody I know goes through it. Like where you're, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to keep yourself inspired. And sometimes that means like, you know, like facing playing with somebody that's going to absolutely kick your butt because that's what inspires you. That's what makes you realize that you love practicing again. And Mm -hmm. it's really, really hard. Like I've went through uh, many spells where, and and I'm really due for another one, but where I, I, for like, you know, a week and a half, two weeks, you know, like still today, like I'll, I'll figure out like what I want to learn and I will just learn it. Like I'll wake up, I'll go eat, come back, you know, lock myself in the room and like start practicing. And after about an hour uh, or an hour and a half, um, you already are in touch with the fact that, oh yeah, that's, that's what I love to do is get better Mm -hmm. and more like powerful, like doing what I want, you know, the sound uh, to be, you know, like that's, that's what it is like. And uh, yeah, so you have to keep yourself, you have to keep yourself inspired and you have to um, be honest with yourself and go like, Oh man, anytime I do, I'm doing this role, I, I always slow down or like Mm -hmm. I always, I always have trouble with this thing or I don't understand enough 
about um, diminished arpeggios or whatever and how they connect. And I haven't tried it out in enough ways to where I feel really comfortable with whatever, you know, um, mm -hmm. or find a new concept, find a great teacher that if they don't have to play banjo even, but have, have somebody um, help guide you because you're going, it's, it's really easy to like get stuck in a spot because you've gotten really good at something and if, then, then it's yours, you know, then you can just hold it. But, but then it becomes this thing where you're just repeating the same thing and soon, uh, surely enough, you will, you will start to just despise that thing because you, you don't feel it anymore. You don't feel it like you did. And mm -hmm. so you have to not be afraid to like basically start over. I had a point like that in uh, uh, in 08 or 09, like where I just was like, you know, like I need to, I, I need to really play music. Like I can do this thing. I feel like really well, but, mm -hmm. but it's limiting. And, and that's, that's what I do. And I'm hearing all these other cats like playing in a totally different way. And, uh, yeah, it's like you can go through some uh, depression, you know, like just, yeah. you know, mild, like bouts of depression, like, man, what do I do? You know, like I'm tired of this or I'm tired of this. Find something new. Listen to a lot of music, like all types of music. You know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, focused on like a bluegrass banjo player. You know? Right. Yeah. That's that's great advice. I think you kind of answered. Was, there's a question from Hunter J, um, who who asked um, who asked, "Do you have any advice to intermediate banjo players on how to take their playing to the next level?" Mm. And you kind of just answered it. But is there anything else as well, you yeah, know, specific well, for intermediates? Well, um, I think I think that um, that that's a great spot um, to be in to to like take lessons from from somebody that's advanced that can that can show you um, show you pathways of just how the music in general works on on a banjo instead of like what role do I connect to this role you know you know to be able to zoom out and mm -hmm. look at things just you know more up in the air at the at the train or the parade or whatever. Um, uh, so you have a better uh, grip on like what you don't know kind of. Right. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great teachers out there uh, that, that do uh, lessons through Skype. And uh, yeah, I, I do lessons, uh, but there's a ton of them. There's a ton of players and that's what I would recommend. And then there's also those, uh, online courses. I think, uh, Tony Trishka has one right? and, uh, several players. And, uh, that's what I would recommend because that will, that will give you so much to where you don't, you're not up against a wall anymore. You know? Right. You'll be able to see I, it better. Yeah. Today there's so much, so many resources out there, you know, but, and I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with the amount of resources and availability that they kind of put themselves in a standstill and just decide not to do anything. Right. Um, but I think you just need to choose. You just need to go get a teacher is probably yeah. the best because then somebody's directly saying Absolutely. you need to work on this. You yeah. Need and, and if you, if any step you take is a good one, because even if, if you, you know, you get with a teacher and that's totally not what you want to do, or what mm -hmm. you want to work at. Okay, now you know that. Go right. somewhere else. Yeah. It's and the the quicker uh, that you get on that, the better you will end up being. Uh, you know, total. You know, right. when it, everything's all said and done, just go. Just do anything. Just go. And before we, Hunter J, before we leave Hunter J, he also 
he he said hello to you. He's he's a regular watcher of uh, I watch East Nashgrass live streaming every Monday night on D's Country Cocktail Lounge YouTube channel oh, and man. all the excellent musicians who bring the best to every show. And thanks, Hunter. I appreciate that. <laughs> um. Um. Yeah. So, do you want to play another tune right now? Sure. Yeah. What should we play? do uh this is uh, my friend harry's favorite song we're gonna do uh boggy mountain special first learned that tune oh probably maybe 11 or <laughs> something like that but a little it's it's funny because you learn stuff and and then you totally forget how you learned it and then it's like you learn it again but like but just how you play like teaches you another a bunch of new habits and some you kind of like and some you're really tired of and some you really hate and uh, uh -huh. you know so yeah it's that is that is something really strange because I learned a bunch of songs you know when I was a kid and so many of them like the versions especially on like melodic stuff I don't remember exactly how I was taught them, you know, and, and, and a lot of times that would be really helpful, you know, mm -hmm. just to tie back to that. But uh, right. a lot of stuff to do. It's another thing I need to get on. Yeah. Were you, did you learn most of these as a kid by ear, by, you know, by somebody playing it by a teacher or recordings and helping them? Or was there t a lot of tab involved? 
I took uh, lessons for a year and a half and uh, maybe almost two years. And toward the end of the two years, uh, it was by ear, but, but definitely for a year or so, and maybe a little longer, it was tab. But, but then, you know, the teacher would also play it and he would say, yeah. no, this finger, no, this finger, no, no, bad boy, do that again. You better do that again. I'm telling right. dad. And so, <laughs> so I thought that was great for him to keep me in line. Like that. That's good. I'll tell your dad. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't, wasn't good back then. Tell you so how, where do you fall in as a teacher? And as um, as on the on the tab by ear sort of spectrum, I do I do almost everything by ear. Like I, you know, what I have people do, if if it's in person, which is uh, more rare than like Skype or FaceTime or whatever. If it's in mm -hmm. person, I'll I'll kind of let them kind of like steer the ship. Uh, with them knowing that that I might disagree with what they're wanting to learn at a certain point in their timeline, but I'll still teach it, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, um, what I do is like when we come to something that that we agree is something that that they should learn, I just play it. I, I have them take out their iPhone or whatever and you know record it. I play it really slow and then up to speed so they have it so they can go back and learn it and we don't waste time saying no no right here uh, you, you know mm -hmm. that's just it just wastes time and I, I want my students to get a lot of a lot of stuff out um, out of each lesson so so you know they don't come back for two months you know like give them enough and, right, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, so almost, almost no tab usually, but, but usually I'm teaching, um, intermediate or like entry level advanced players right. that, that can figure stuff out. Um, but yeah. Right. And, and s are you taking students on now? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Where I don't, what's that? Where can people get in touch with you if they wanted to take lessons with you? Uh, anybody can email me at Corey Walker Banjo, C-O-R-Y, no E in Corey, C-O-R-Y, Walker Banjo at gmail.com. And uh, it's it's a very non-committal uh, thing. Like, I don't I don't have a schedule where we can do every week, nor, there, nor do I want uh, right. to have one like that. But uh, basically, I just... I just shoot a message to everybody when I have availability. And if you can mm -hmm. do it, then great. And if not, then great. Like, you sure. know, whatever works. But, um, but yeah, it's fun. I like teaching. Cool. Um, we have some questions in the chat I want to get to. We have one from Victor Coco saying, uh, Corey, what is your favorite banjo music festival? Wow. I don't know. I didn't know there was one. Um, I always think of music festivals or bluegrass festivals or whatever. But my, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, festivals in general um, would have to be Dell Fest up in Cumberland, Maryland. I actually just got back a couple days ago from teaching the academy uh, up there uh, with Rob McCurry and then also played with Jason Carter and his band. And then Tim O'Brien and his band, and that was uh, awesome, an awesome experience. If you've never been to the Academy, I highly recommend going. Um, it's just so much fun, and uh, I love Dell Fest. I love um, I love Grass Valley, the Father's Day festival. Uh, we're mm -hmm. playing it with East Nash Grass uh, coming up soon. Cool. Um, we'll we'll, heard... we'll be out there. So uh, not oh, nice. me, but other people. Jan and Greg during, I believe, will be there. We they usually go there. Jamie might be able to confirm, but definitely go say hi. If you know, awesome. Yeah, and it looks like can uh, confirm that is accurate. Yes, Jan and Greg Deering <laughs> will be there. All right. Yeah, I'll see you there. Um, yeah, there's there's so many. Um, 
East Nash Grass is playing, uh, it looks like we're playing a, a, um, a bunch of festivals this year. Um, but uh, it's, it's kind of hard, it's hard to choose, you know. They're yeah, all different. Yeah. Right. But, they, oh, they... Rocky Grass is awesome. Love Rocky Grass. I'll be out there this this year. You aren't playing there, are you? Um, I I think I was supposed to with another band, but we had something with East Nash Grass. So gotcha. Um, let's see. We have a question from Alan Jones saying, "How often does Corey practice, and how long per session?" Oh man. Well, like I was saying, you know, like I'll go through periods where I'll for like two weeks, um, but it's been it's been like over a year since I've done this, but they're always the most beneficial to me. I'll, I'll go through a period where for two weeks, I'll wake up, I'll go eat lunch, I'll come back, and then I'll just practice all day. I mean, all day, I'll have dinner, and then keep practicing, you know. So, you know, 10 hours a day for two weeks, you know, that'll really, that'll really get you far. Um, but but I think the most important thing is even if you're only doing it 10 minutes, don't, that doesn't mean like laying back watching the Simpsons and like, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not practice that, you know, it's fine, but all you're doing is just reinforcing what you already do. And, um, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, it just depends on, you kind of have to diagnose what you need to practice to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, like just 10 minutes of like active practicing where you are completely there with it and paying attention to what you're doing, um, or trying to not do is so much more valuable than like practicing for two hours watching the Simpsons. You know? Right. Yeah. And do you practice, how do you kind of... Uh, mix it up between practicing, you know, technique versus practicing tunes versus practicing, you know, improvisation sort of ideas. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that sort of how do you, how do you split those those sort of things up, or is it just what you feel in the moment that you need? Yeah, well, I think that that's great. Um, that last thing, like, but but it's gonna you're not going to be as balanced on stuff, you know? Um, it's really honestly a great question that I don't know that I have a clear answer to. Um, a lot of times if, if I'm working on tunes, it's because I've got to record it with somebody or, or I've got to play it with, with a band that I don't know that material, uh, right. to, you know? Um, but, uh, but it's always, it's always great to play to records, you know, and that's a great way to iron out some tunes, you know. Um, yeah, and then and then if you if you write uh, tunes, then you might want to do that too. Focus, you know. In a perfect yeah. world, you know, you'd set up the calendar: twenty minutes <laughs> this, fifteen yeah, yeah. this. I just generally don't tend to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Hunter J is asking um, if you could give a quick rundown of your favorite picks, string gauges, etc. Mm. Banjo, banjo gear. Well, you know, I used to use Ernie Ball picks, and they're like the real pointy ones. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I used. I mean, seriously, till I was nineteen or so, and and then I switched to Dunlops for a little bit, and then. And then uh, Wes Corbett, we were out at Grass Valley, and uh, I think he was playing with Molly Tuttle. And I was out there with Chris Henry, and uh, he showed me these picks, these uh, National uh, MP2 sta uh, stainless steel picks. And I really, like, I really like them. They don't seem to bend um, after repeated use like others do. Um, but there's there's a ton of them out there that are just incredible today. The Yates picks are great. The Hoffmeyers are awesome. I know that I'm going to leave a bunch out. But Deering just started uh, um, making picks that are kind of like the, the pro picks, I guess. 
Um, yeah, but, but we, um, hmm? we make pro picks now and, and, uh, we just started making a, the, the heritage, um, the heritage picks, which are what Wes is using now. And they're just, they're a, a copy of, um, a pair of Earl Scruggs picks from, from the fifties from Pike County breakdown. Nice. Nice. Like old national style. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Wes is a big fan of that. Chris Pandolfi is using that, um, yeah, a number of players are using that now. Nice. I need to try those out. We'll get you. We'll get you some. Nice. Um, let's see. And then uh, string gauges. What do you do? Oh yeah. Um, I've been using for a long time the JD Crow Studio Lite uh, GHS strings. I um, that's been my my go to. Um, but you know. Us banjo players were always just Nothing changing around. things. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I never really know what I'm going to be using. I'm using this uh, this uh, Planet Waves, like, small or medium thumb pick. And mm -hmm. sometimes I like it, and sometimes I'm switching up to, you know, something here. <laughs> so, you got an arsenal there. Yeah, yeah. Just really makes things worse, honestly. <laughs> right, right, right. Are you into uh, Are you into banjo setup? Do you do you tweak your own banjo setup? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I generally keep the head like it, so it's in between a G and a G sharp right now. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I like really low action to the point where it's like, unfortunately, buzzing. Uh, but I want it just higher than that, you know. Right. Um, and you don't have problems getting a lot of volume out no no i don't and and i don't really care about the volume uh i care about what it feels like if it feels like it's powerful then mm -hmm. that's just as good as loud you know if it feels like it's powerful i mean you're playing into a mic you know and you know like so many of the greatest players they didn't play hard you know Playing just with a with a touch that brings the notes out. You know, it's how do you force? Yeah, how do you when you're playing live or anytime really? You know, and even in the studio, if you're playing something hard, mm -hmm. and or you're just really into it, the groove's really strong. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that? How do you keep yourself playing with a light touch and staying relaxed and not tensing up and overplaying and? Well, almost always, it it just sounds it doesn't sound as good if mm -hmm. you're if you're playing hard. If you're playing hard, you're overplaying your instrument. Like if you have a good instrument, the tone is there. Like not if you hit it like that, but the tone is still there. But like you don't have to like it just sounds bad, you know. And yeah. that's generally kind of the metric. It's like, how does it sound, you know? And, and of course, you might uh, you might have an urge to play harder, um, but it's almost always not the route to go, it, personally. Yeah. Do you ever feel yourself tensing up, though, and, and oh, in, in, a, in situations? And how do you mentally get out of that, that thing? Well, when yeah. you start, yeah, when you, well, you'll notice like when, if you start tensing up, your timing starts to get wavy and, mm -hmm. and, um, and it just kind of constricts everything if you start right. tensing up. So I'll notice that I'm not grooving like right. I was when I was playing lighter, not like nothing, but, but lighter, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's generally what informs me. And, and then yeah. you'll feel it too, and it doesn't feel good. So right. the combination of the two, maybe. Yeah. We got a question from uh, somebody from the Stony Mountain Ramblers saying, I noticed Corey had his capo on the seventh fret in the video with the East Nash group. How often do you capo seven and under what circumstances? Um, almost never uh, do I capo seven. But, uh, I mean, if I'm playing Matterhorn, you know, and I'm wanting to get, you know, that kickoff, then, then I'll play it 
Um, but for that one, I don't know. It just seemed like it was the, the route to go because um, I still wanted the kind of open sound for that uh, Uncle Dave making thing, you know. And then, uh, and it sounds a, a lot of Uncle Dave making stuff like it sounded like that. I mean, it was just like, you know, almost like yeah. African, like, you know, sounding. And so I felt like it went with the song and then, uh, and then James on guitar, he, he dropped down to drop D. And so it kind of just had this interesting sonic presence. And then also the, uh, the mandolin and the, the fiddle, I think, are cross-tuned. Um, and so there's just, it's just an experiment and it sounded good. And yeah. uh, so that's that's what it is. Like if I put it up there, I, I, I just tried it out. And if I put it up there and it didn't sound good to me in that context with all mm -hmm. the players, then I would say, no, let me try something else, you know. Uh, it's just trying stuff out and then using your own sensibilities to see what you think about it. And then if you don't like it, do something else. Just try stuff out. There's no rule for anything, you know. It's right. just using your ear. And your ear will be different than somebody else's. So, you know, it's up to you. You can have a show. Right. You'll be a good boy. <laughs> you, you have a stalker, Harry Clark, saying, Corey, we are in your driveway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's okay. Just, just uh, it, do you have a way of uh, booting him out of this? Let's let's we'll, get we'll him out of it. this. Let's get him out of this chat. <laughs> um, let's see. Hunter J is asking, "Who are your favorite banjo players?" Oh God! Who are your favorite banjo players currently playing? Oh you know? man! Oh man! Uh, Bela, Bela. Um, Ron Stewart, uh, man, there's so many, golly, uh, Jesse Baker, Wes Corbett, uh, Matt Davis for some of the young, younger guys, yeah. like my yeah. age, um, man, there's just so many Ron block, uh, love Craig Smith's banjo playing Sammy Sheeler, Jim Mills. I mean, goes on and on and on and on yeah uh, yeah i mean i like i like any any of the like the pro guys you know i i like all types of stuff about it and and yeah. want to incorporate stuff everybody has a completely different sound and uh i don't I'm not great with like favorites in general. I, I yeah, really yeah. am not. And that sounds so like hippy dippy, but like, I like it all, you know, I really do. Like if it's good, then you've sold me, you know. What is it about certain music that just general music doesn't have to be bluegrass or banjo playing that mm -hmm. turns you off and turns you on? Mm, that's a good question. If, 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 if something's just being rehashed, um, for the sake of gimmick or, or, or not, if it's being rehashed, well, we put a spin on it. Well, the spin's got to be pretty big, uh, for me, like, mm -hmm. or I'm just going to really not like it. But then obviously there's like, gosh. If, if the singer's not good, you know, if it's right. tuned, if it's tuned like crazy to where you can't hear the, the, the blues, the dark right. part of, of it in there. I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like stupid songs about the same stuff that everybody has been singing about. And believe me, I love bluegrass and old bluegrass it's like my fave but but i don't like songs about bluegrass either I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think that that's like the best we can do for like speaking 
of reality today. I don't think it's like, you know, you know, old J.D. Crow and don't forget old Mac Wiseman too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like I right. hate stuff like that. I really do. Like, um, yeah, like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can be bad, you know. But uh, but I like stuff that that sounds like like fresh, like I've never heard it before. Um, yeah, again, like if if you're doing something that like a song that's been done before, like that's very common, right? In bluegrass, like like that's not like a no go zone at all. Um, but it's gotta it's gotta sound it's gotta sound like you. Like, don't, don't try to copy somebody's version of it. You know, that's, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of incredible players that, uh, that do that, but it's just not my, that's not my go-to as far right. as when I want to listen to something and be inspired. Right. Um, so, uh, you've worked with a, a lot of talented players too, love you know, through the years. And what's some of what's something that you wish you some things that you learned and some things you um, wish you knew beforehand before working with them? Not about them, not personal things, but but musically, like wish you know you had in had in, in your bag of tricks or just knew about uh -huh. performing. And what, and what was the other? What was the first thing? Things you learned, you know. Uh huh. Oh man. Well, you know, one thing, one thing that you learn is, uh, you don't, and, and I, I learned this early on, but, but you, you still find yourself if you're not into the music, uh, because you're thinking about something else or whatever, you can still find yourself playing and you're not serving the song or you're just, you're playing too much or you're not playing enough, you know, like you have to be really in inside of the song as it's, you know, being recorded or played to really, uh, to serve it, you know, and it takes a lot of energy. Um, it's not casual and it shouldn't be casual. And, uh, and anytime it feels casual, it's not going to be, uh, your best. Um, mm -hmm. Um, oh gosh, when I was, when I was young, just like, like not like wanting to listen to like, like teachers or people that I'd meet and, but, but not having the ears to hear, like thinking that I did, but like, you know, not taking it so seriously. It, you have to, you have to really know what you want to do. Like, um, yeah, it's it's really easy to, for instance, if you're playing with one of your heroes, to just be like, you know, like either trying to just not think about it, which mm -hmm. is honestly kind of the move, um, mm -hmm. but but then you won't you'll you won't be able to soak up some things. But if you try to soak up stuff, then you're yeah. you're not playing music anymore and you're trying to hold the thing in your hand and be like wow isn't this so cool this you know this box i have you know um so that's a tough one i'll have to get back to you on that one yeah that's a hard one what you just said like trying to if you're in a moment that's really big to you whether you're at a certain stage or with somebody right. that you really look up to of not making it too big a moment in your head so you get all freaked out or not trying to play it too cool where yeah. you aren't actually playing you aren't in the moment for the music you're just you've you've like almost checked out in a certain way because you don't want to get stressed out it's it's a hard to find line to do um bela bela fleck told me he said that uh if if he's got a show and he, it's a really important show to him or whatever he's found, and it was great advice, uh, he's found that like, if he doesn't treat it like it's this big deal, he'll always play better. And so he tries mm -hmm. to stay 
as far as what I gathered from it, he tries to kind of stay in that that same place um, right. to where he's not not thinking about it or like not getting too nervous about stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that can really that can really be uh, a big issue. Yeah, that's that's good advice. It, take everything. I think take everything seriously and intensely, but then, you know, even the ones that are unimportant gigs. And then when you get to the the important ones, keep it at that same level. Don't try to up the game. Just keep it at right. your, yeah. your, your, your regular, you know, full, full, you know, full throttle of trying. Yeah. Your, yeah. your regular game in theory should be your best game every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's as far as your, operating plane you know like that's Mm -hmm. that's that's what you want to be you know and and just trying to rev the throttle can you know it can really cause you some problems yeah yeah well this has been fun Corey. um we've uh, we've one last question from hunter j um again saying asking and i'm curious too what's the writing on on the head of your banjo there Oh man, I love this restaurant called Zaxby's, and I write down all my favorite uh, menu items. Yeah, <laughs> like the number one is the Big Zax snack, for instance, and number two is the boneless chicken thighs. It says here. See, I wouldn't even remember that if I hadn't looked here. Um, you you no, could it's just, just put a QR code of their menu on your head. It's then... just a couple quotes and stuff, and like. Um, and muse, uh, musical concepts that I'm trying to understand. Yeah. And I just, uh, I just like, I just like writing it down here because it'll always be here until I change the head <laughs> again. And, uh, I don't know. I don't care about the aesthetic that much. So, yeah. so there it is. You can do that. You can write stuff down pertaining to banjo or anything right there on the head. You can do it too. <laughs> it's easy. Well, yeah, this was fun, Gory. It's great to, great to kind of, you know, great to meet you here virtually. Hopefully we meet in person sometime at uh, somewhere out there on, you know, some festival or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love that. Uh, hopefully soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's see, everybody, we have in, I think, two weeks from now, we have Allison Brown coming on the show. And then I think two weeks later, we have Chris Pandolfi. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be sending out um, sending out uh, news about that. And everybody, thanks for joining us. Corey, I'll uh, hopefully see you soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All right.